Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I'm Tony Heil uh, from council, a council member from Pennsylvania, from Bridgeport. And if you have listened to the podcast in the past, and I hope that you have, you know that my goal started with trying to talk with people around me who have run for office to encourage others to run. I've talked with uh, people at all levels of government, and after a while, I realized that I could get someone from every state. And today, I'm excited to have my guest from the furthest away, uh, from Hawaii, though I once had a guest from Spain, and that's a whole other issue. Um, And her name is Nicole Lowen, state representative, a wonderful person. And we're going to find out that we actually share some interesting things in common, and we're going to learn a lot about Hawaii, the politics there, and more importantly, hopefully, you will come out of this learning about why you should run for office as well. I am excited because Nicole and I both share a connection to Pennsylvania. Uh, She went to Penn. Uh, She has a lot of good legislative achievements and has been involved in Hawaii for a number of years in government. And we also share that we both went to the University of Hawaii, albeit she went longer than I did. So we'll talk about that, and I hope that you will be encouraged to subscribe and share this and other episodes as well. So with that in mind, aloha, Nicole. Thank you so much for joining. Aloha. It's my pleasure to be here. So um, as I said, you and I do, I was surprised when looking for someone from Hawaii, um, you have a connection to me by going to uh, University of Pennsylvania, right? Yes. Did you go to University of Pennsylvania? I have been there. No, (laughs) but I live in Philadelphia. Yeah, I went to Penn. If I say what year I graduated, you'll know how old I am. Yeah, I was actually born um, on the East Coast in the Washington, D.C. area. My father was in the Foreign Service, so we moved away when I was just a baby. And I grew up overseas mainly, moved back for a couple years, went to college and lived a couple years on the mainland. And then I moved out to Hawaii in 1996. So I've been here for a long time and actually have spent far less amount of my time living on the mainland U.S. than I have in Hawaii because I didn't grow up there. But um, I did have those four years in in Pennsylvania, which is really the longest contiguous amount of time I've spent in any state on the mainland. Well, it's a good state to be in. I appreciate that. And um, I actually, in the year 2000, took a college class at University of Hawaii and it's a beautiful campus. It's it's hard for a lot of other college campuses to compete, right? Yeah, I mean, it's Hawaii is beautiful, of course, and the weather is nice, you know, almost all of the time. So yeah, it's hard to it's hard to compete with that. And UH Manoa certainly has a, a nice um, college campus. Uh, so and when I was there, I took a class in intercultural communications, um, and the reason why we had that there is, I think people don't realize um, that Hawaii may be the my, most diverse state in the whole country, right? Yeah, I mean, we are like a majority minority state where there's no, you know, single majority demographic. Of course, you know, we are it's if you if you divide a few there's a lot of different types of Asian Americans, but the majority really is Asian American, people of Japanese, Filipino, Chinese, um and other ethnicities descent and then there's yeah, a smattering of everybody else. I guess the next largest would be um Caucasians. But yeah, it's very diverse here. And I think in terms of obviously the natural beauty of the state, that diversity, the the people there really add to the beauty and the, the reason why anyone would want to live there. And obviously it helped to make sure that's why you have decided to live there forever now, right? 
and yeah, Hawaii has that, um, you know, the Aloha spirit people like to talk about. I mean, sometimes I, I think people use that. There's a side of it that is like tourism based, just a, like a marketing point. But I think there is truth behind it. Of course, there's wonderful people everywhere. We don't have a monopoly on nice people. But I think the wonderful thing about Hawaii is that it is a small state and, you know, family and friends and those social interactions are really important. So it feels like a small town. Um, even when you're in Honolulu in the city, if there's always a connection to someone or somewhere that, that people can find that they have in common. So you had a unique path to get to Hawaii, which I imagine a lot of people do. That's It's not a state where, um, it's probably a state where a lot of people have come there. Um, but what was your path to being involved in politics, whether Hawaii or elsewhere? When did you first decide or become politically aware and engaged in what was going on and that kind of thing? So, yeah, it was after um, being out of college for undergrad for quite a long time, I had decided to go back to um, to graduate school. And so I moved to Honolulu away from, I live on Big Island and represent a district on the Big Island. And Honolulu is on the island of Oahu, uh, where the, the city is. And, um, you know, although I've always, you know, I have parents who are certainly interested in politics, was always, you know, raised in that kind of atmosphere, was always a voter, even when I wasn't really actively involved in specific issues. I think every every year that I've been eligible to vote since I turned 18, I've always voted. But that time that I, that I spent on Oahu while I was in graduate school, I think being closer to the center of government and, and studying, I was studying urban planning. I also worked at the University of Hawaii's Environmental Center. Part of my job there was tracking legislation related to environmental issues. So that really got me more involved in a more direct way. And so um, what actually ended up happening was after um, I was finishing up school, I ended up getting offered a job by a friend of mine who worked at the state capitol to work as like a staff during the legislative session, like a temporary job. And it seemed like a good transition thing to do. So I took that job and then ended up that year, it was 2000, 2012, was a redistricting year, the same as we will have in 2022. So every 10 years, I'm sure you know and all your listeners know that based on the census data, the political boundaries are redrawn. And so, you know, because of that process, there actually ended up being an empty district with no incumbent in my district, you know, where I was from and where I owned a home still. And so I ended up at that point, you know, not quite this direct a path, but at that point, considering running for office and talking to people about it and, you know, eventually making the decision to do that. But I always sort of like to joke when people ask ask me, my, my kind of standing joke is that if I had any idea what I was getting into, I never would have done it, just, <laughs> which I don't really mean, but I think, um, yeah, it can be a challenging process, a campaigning process. You know, you talk about that Hawaii is so much like a small town in terms of the state, and I'm sure the districts and islands. But when you're in a small town where I am, um, and anywhere in politics generally, people often get involved in politics for almost a negative reason. Uh, They're mad, they're very angry at whoever's in office. Um, There's such partisan fighting in one way or another. Um, or they're mad that the legislature went too far one way or another. I would imagine that for you and your district, the motivation is probably not as negative as that. Is that a fair assessment? 
For me personally, it's not. I mean, I, I think that we you do see that more and more. Maybe it's a little bit of a function of this new landscape of social media where I feel like it, it just creates a lot of mistrust in government and anger, whether it's warranted or not. I mean, I think that people here do get involved in, in local issues, probably more to a degree than than focusing than running for office for reasons of national politics. And of course, Hawaii is a really heavily blue state. So we don't have, um, we have a little bit different political landscape than a state that's a swing state or more evenly divided or has a Republican majority. But that doesn't mean everybody gets along with each other and agrees on everything. So there's certainly, you know, we have our own set of issues here. And we have, you know, dem- lots of different Democrats who have different positions that, you know, might surprise some people on the mainland at the degree of conservatism in some of those positions that some people here take. No, well, I, some people were talking about that um, on, not about you, but about, um, there's some states where there is a big Democratic majority, whether it's Rhode Island, um, and if you're listening, check out the podcast with uh, another state legislator, Gail Golden, about uh, Rhode Island, um, or Hawaii, you would think as an outsider, like, oh, there is this big Democratic majority, they're passing huge progressive legislation that's changing the country, but that's not always the case, right? Like, it just... The, the party label may mean people run for office, but there's a lot of diversity within that. Sure. I mean, I think that there's sort of an understanding in Hawaii to a degree that if you want to win, you run as a Democrat. Um, I come from, you know, really strong Democratic roots, and I feel like I'm pretty progressive in my politics. I think that's pretty clear. But, um, you know, we have, we have in the Hawaii State House of Representatives, there's 51 members, and this past two-year session, we had five Republicans, and we might end up with four. One person's retiring, so there's a seat up for grabs, so that could become even fewer when we come back after this um, election cycle. And in the Senate, we actually had a couple years where there were no, um, out of 25 Senate members, there were no Republicans. And then um, more recently, there's one who uh, has a race to see if he can retain his seat. So you know, so of course there's going to be factions within within the Democrats. And I think that Hawaii's history um, and strong Democratic roots really comes from a different kind of history than, than you would see on the mainland. It was sort of plantation culture versus plantation workers. And, and Hawaii kind of turned blue when the plantation workers organized and were able to um, take positions of power and leadership. And, and it really is a really strong labor state but sometimes on social issues there's not as many progressive leaders on some of the social issues i mean i remember it always surprises people in 2013 when we considered um same-sex marriage we had and we passed it but there was like 19 i think 19 no votes from democrats which in some states is is like practically disqualifying right you know so right even um, in pennsylvania which is not the most liberal state well, right now, such a thing might not pass because it's a Republican majority, but the Democrats would almost all be in favor of that. There would, mm-hmm. And that would be almost a litmus test for most Democrats in the state, aside from a few places. So in Hawaii, I uh, imagine, and looking at what you've worked on, climate change and the environment are a uniquely important issue in your state, more so than almost any other state, though, though maybe not more than any other state. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for several reasons. One, we're an island in the middle of the ocean. So, you know, 
we can't every if we can't protect our own resources and we need to get them from elsewhere well it's not like as simple as you know going across the state boundary to the next state over we need to um you know protect our own resources for that reason we also you know people come to hawaii and our tourism industry is strong because it's a beautiful place to visit and so we need to protect that beauty i think because it's important to our economy and then of course as an island with issues of climate change and things like sea level rise and um, increasingly large storms, et cetera, like those issues are all really, really relevant. We need to make sure that that we're resilient and that we have like some degree of self-sufficiency because it could you could very easily envision multiple kind of situations where we are um, cut off from the mainland or where far away, far away um, events impact us here. So you talk about social issues or might always not always be agreement amongst all Democrats, but is, is something like climate change in Hawaii where everyone sees it? Do you think there, there's more support for attacking that issue in Hawaii than there might be in other places? Like, you can't avoid the reality of it in Hawaii, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, yes, Hawaii has been really progressive on um, climate and energy policy. Could we, we could do more. I mean, it's still, I think like any legislature, there's just a certain degree of like inertia that you're only going to do so much in any given year. And there's always kind of pushback on on being, I don't know what the word is, being too extreme or too ambitious almost. Like mm-hmm. there, things have to be phased in slowly. So, I mean, I do feel like sometimes I come up against frustrations of things that we're trying to work on. But And, of course, we have environmental organizations here that I think sometimes I wish they spent a little more time recognizing how far we have come although there is a lot to focus on of what we still need to do. I think it's important to recognize that in the you know, spectrum of where other states are and the national framework that we have to, to work within, right? We're still a state of the United States, so we can't be independent of that or we can't compare ourselves like apples to apples to things that are happening in Europe or, or anything like that. But um, yeah, Hawaii was the first state to um, set a goal to reach 100% renewable energy and we have a goal in statute for a um, net zero economy. So that's kind of a broader look at uh, at emissions outside of just power generation. And then um, we've passed a couple of bills, and, and then the counties also work on this, but just dealing, looking at planning ahead for sea level rise and, you know, how we're going to to deal with that as it begins to become more and more of a reality. And not just more and more of reality. I'm sure that that kind of thing is already a reality in Hawaii. Of course, it's not a reality in Pennsylvania in that way. We might have more storms or changing weather, but, you know, we have Lake Erie. We don't have sea level rise as an issue in Pennsylvania so much. So is that something where already now you can look and say, remember, you can see the, the results of this now? Yes, absolutely. You can You can see it now, but I think it's still more gradual than than people think and the sense of urgency sometimes does feel like it's not there because um you know you can see where if there's a high tide that there's certain areas where the the highway will get washed out like on the north shore of oahu and cut off access and people know that's an issue that needs to be tackled there's these certain areas there's definitely some beaches that have been eroding and there's always talk about waikiki and you know the potential for flooding in that area which is such a huge economic driver um, but at the same time, the, the um, you know, the impacts creep up gradually. And the most extreme things are still potentially some time away. I mean, I think that we, sh- I think that there should be more of a sense of urgency, in my opinion. 
but is it is there a widespread sense of urgency about it yet? I'm not I'm not quite sure. I think it's definitely I can really tangibly tell among um, members of the public, constituents, even business organizations, how much more important the issue of climate change is to them. And I I think there's just sometimes some there's you know with some some but not with everyone not with enough people I still feel like there's resistance from a lot of my colleagues which uh, can be frustrating. Well, and I'm sure one of the other frustrating things when it comes to dealing with a uh, perilous issue like that is a lack of interest from Washington. I I follow the Hawaii senators on social media. A friend, friends of mine worked for uh, now Senator Mazzy Hirono um, for one of her campaigns years ago, and they have to take a message to D.C. and it, you know, they don't seem to get a lot of help from the Republican majority. Do you is that one of the big challenges in Hawaii is getting the rest of the country to notice what's going on there? Because I can imagine it's easy to be forgotten. I think it's a big issue um, everywhere. You know, I mean, I think. I think something people forget is that that really the biggest the the issues that are probably most front and center every time I've you know done like a survey of my constituents or something like that. I mean, people care about these issues, but the biggest issue, the most immediate issue to people here is the high cost of living mm-hmm. and how many how many working families struggle just to make ends meet. And then we also have a really high per capita, one of the highest, if not the highest, in the nation per capita homeless issues, and so. You know, I think that these are when when these are big issues, and I think that um, the frustration we try to do stuff here. Hawaii already has a pretty high like income tax rate, and uh, compared to to other states, I think the wealth inequality is is lower from some studies that I've seen. But yeah, it's really challenging because you know an issue like homelessness, if you think of it as a problem that relates to healthcare, a problem that relates to housing, a problem that relates to rising income inequality and all of these things. Well, the the truth is no matter what kind of promises people make when they're running for office, that these problems won't get solved until we have um, action federally. There's, you know, we can do, we can do the most that we can at a local level to expand healthcare coverage, but then it re- and realistically it costs everybody more also. Um, and it costs the state more. So, yeah, I mean, healthcare reform would be huge. Tax reform would be huge on a, on a national level. And Hawaii also, I mean, I think that when that that when we try to do things on a macro scale, like, well, we'll just do this in our state, even if they're not doing it nationally, there can be a lot of pushback because we already have this really high cost of living here due to being an island, due to having to import so many things, um, due to, you know, things that we do locally are, are not able to do them at such economies of scale. And so... You know, when we say, well, we want to, you know, take on more of this ourselves, the reality is that it's going to cost more. And so people will push back against that because, it, you know, the reality is a lot of families are already struggling with the cost of living here. Yeah, I remember that from my month-long semester at University of Hawaii. And we had a class and, you know, we were all 20 to 22 years old. And there was a homeless gentleman who kind of befriended our class at times from where we were. And it still stuck out to me because part of, you know, we were all from the mainland. I went to college in New York, so people were from mostly New England, me from Pennsylvania. Um, So the attitude from people was, well, if they're homeless, they're still in Hawaii, so that's pretty good. 
But as you point out, homelessness isn't good anywhere, whether you're in the cold streets of Erie, Pennsylvania, or the beauty of Hawaii, homelessness is a serious problem. Right, yeah, I don't think those that people are loving life when they're homeless. And, and you know, it does become an issue of, it's an issue for people who aren't homeless as well to have a lot of homeless in their community. It's like, you, you know, we have to deal with it compassionately and with programs that provide assistance and you know, drug treatment, etc. And, you know, we don't want to criminalize homeless, but it, it, there is a conflict over resources when, you know, it's affecting a business district or somebody doesn't feel safe to walk down the sidewalk in a certain area or, or things like that. So, yeah, being, I don't think, I think it's a struggle that we have here. I think we, we do get some homeless who come here because I think all the states that have good social safety nets um, a lot of blue states, and then Hawaii in particular, because it has good weather, sort of a, can attract um, additional homeless to pile on to like the existing kind of internal problems. So there is that too. Yeah, and I imagine like you know I board my state, my area borders New Jersey, and if the taxes go up in New Jersey, or people don't feel like they're safe in New Jersey, or vice versa, they can move to Pennsylvania. Um, Again, people might say, oh, you're stuck in Hawaii, but if you are frustrated with things in your home life in Hawaii, it's not that easy, especially if you're not wealthy, to move, right? Yeah, or it's, it's you know, it's not an outcome that we prefer. It's right. sort of what is referred to here as the brain drain. I'm sure other kind of rural areas deal with that. But, I mean, what we see happening is that local families who are born and raised, who have years of history here, are forced to, you know, move to the mainland and then... You know, we have more and more people coming here, investing in luxury real estate, retiring here, not paying income taxes. Um, and it just it's kind of creates this imbalance of haves and have nots. And then we lose like we lose a valuable workforce also. Yeah, I remember, again, on my trip, the one of the teachers had spent time in Hawaii. And was like, how did how could you have left? And he said, well, there's a lot you miss when you are in Hawaii that you don't get when you're in New York or you're in. Um, DC or something and, and you know it's something that as a kid you don't really get like why would you leave here ever and I'm sure yeah. that's a, that's a challenge so I've talked yeah, and you know people always people always say I mean I've lived in Hawaii for close to 25 years now and it's um, you know it's just like anywhere else I think you know life is life whether you're in Hawaii or not I mean it's beautiful and I love it here but the idea that that we're all just living in paradise or that we don't have our own issues is is just not true. And so that's what I was going to ask next is every state has a challenge in terms of passing legislation. Um, what's what's the challenge for a state legislator in Hawaii at getting policy passed? Because, you know, I've talked to people who um, they have a, they can't raise revenue in Colorado. So they have an issue there or, you know, they have. Um, certain kinds of revenue streams in Pennsylvania and they can they can change it or um, edit that but you know what are the unique challenges in terms of trying to be a policy wonk and get things done as a legislator you know as for me because my area of interest and where I focused has always been on environmental policy and energy policy I think it's um, just trying to educate my colleagues on these issues um, because I think that that it can get very wonky and it's also just sort of viewed as a secondary, secondary to the, the issues of um, human services, health, public safety, etc. 
And I, I mean, I, I think this is to a degree the same in every legislature, but there's just kind of always this, like, it's it's always easier to kill a bill than pass a bill, mm-hmm. you know? And so you have to pick your battles. It's just more a matter of, you know, you can't, you can't expect that you're going to get everything that you worked on that year, that every bill you've introduced is going to pass, right? It's going to get narrowed down to some group of bills. So sometimes I do sort of feel like, like, I'm always much more based, I, I'm, I'm much better at the policy than the politics. And I, you know, that's why I ran for office. And I enjoy the policy side of it much more than the campaigning side of it. So I think sometimes I get frustrated when it's like, well, if it's a good bill, why can't we, why can't we pass it? Why is there sort of this? I don't know. Just I think it's the same everywhere. You know, it it does get frustrating trying to pass something. So um... I mean, I think sometimes it it can be sometimes the the um, the fact that we're basically like a, you know, one majority caucus, one super majority can obfuscate issues a little bit Um, instead of having sort of a healthy debate between you know, a minority caucus and a majority caucus, it, it all kind of happens more internally, and that creates um, a, an easier ecosystem for things to get deferred or swept under the rug. So maybe that's kind of a, a unique challenge that I feel like we have fewer of our actual substantive debates in public because of having such a super majority. Yeah, it's a it's a blessing and a curse when there's a super majority. I imagine from either party because there's a motivation in Pennsylvania, for example, of we got to keep our caucus in the majority. So you guys got to work together. And we have to make this deal or another. But that leads to political debate, sometimes good and sometimes really terrible. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not usually on the personal level that it might be in a state like Hawaii. We'll go with that. <laughs> I mean, I think that. I don't know that the challenges here are substantively different than other states. I think it's it's always just that doing something, you know, there's always funding is an issue. It's always that the departments are going to push back and want to do less, not more. Um, there's there's outside pressure. Everybody, I think every state probably has their powerful lobbies, and that might vary state to state, but we certainly have ours here. Yeah, I'm not sure that, that it's different. States kind of vary, too, on term limits. I mean... If any of my colleagues listen to this, it's like, I, it's, I think we're not really as, it's generally the position that we don't support term limits or supposed to be the position. But I sometimes wonder if, I do think that having term limits that expire too quickly is kind of debilitating because you don't get to, you know, get people who have the expertise and the understanding of some really complex subject matter. On the other hand, having a situation where it's kind of set up to have very, very little turnover and we have actually a fair amount of turnover, but you see that turnover happen among like a lower tier of people who haven't been there as long, who's, you know, that constituency tends to vote new people in more often. Mm. You have certain people who've been in office for a very, very long time and then are in like really high positions of, of power. And I think that I know there is like some degree of, of things get in, entrenched and it's it's just more about keeping the status quo moving along if that's working for everyone than sort of being committed to doing some new things so that makes sense that that's a problem with term limits is um and that's true when you look at the congressional record i mean the the congressional races every year the people who are first term incumbents are often more vulnerable because maybe they just flipped the seat for the first time or they haven't built any sort of uh, constituency 
So they are already vulnerable no matter if they're term limits or not. And then if there are, then you're losing people because they're term limited out. So you lose, just like you're talking about with people moving from the state, you have a kind of legislative brain drain. Yeah, we don't have term limits. No, no, yeah. I can see where that could be an issue. So but you're saying my argument against it. Yeah, so I think like, I mean, I, I sometimes do feel like having no term limits, though, can be counterproductive to being like being progressive with policies because I see our electorate moving in a more progressive direction Mm -hmm. and I don't see our legislator legislature and more progressive people get get elected but it doesn't it feels like there's quite a big lag between you know that shift being um evident in our policy making I mean there's always I think there's always pockets of good progressive legislation moving forward but I do think sometimes we're a little out of step and to me it's just like having Having people who've been in office for, you know, three decades or more, you know, at what point is it, is it, it's just, yeah, depressing the power of everybody else. Because, I mean, as much as we all get elected through a democratic process, I think most legislatures don't really work democratically. And, you know, I think that there's generally power concentrated in the hands of a lot fewer people internally, the way that, that things, that I've observed things work since being in this position. So not allowing for any kind of turnover or sort of upward mobility in in that framework, I think can be, um, you know, negative in terms of having the legislature be on track with the electorate. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, to that point, you've seen in history where committee chairs in Congress used to have that space as a committee chair for many, many years. And Mm -hmm. once it flipped, I mean, you're seeing this now with even primaries, like Elliot Engel losing to uh, in a primary in New York. Like, it drastically shifts the kind of person that is in charge of a very vital committee and what legislation comes from it. So yeah, the- and it's unusual. I mean, it's exciting that we've been seeing. I mean, I don't want people to get. I don't want people to have opponents if they're doing a good job just mm-hmm. because they've been there too long. I mean, I don't like that approach, but um, but it is also kind of exciting just to see that that you know there will be some change because it just provides opportunity for newer legislators to be able to get the experience to rise up into new positions. And I think that doesn't get provided often enough. Yeah, it makes, it makes total sense. Um, so the podcast is called you should run. And like you said, there Mm -hmm. are uh, unique challenges to being a legislator in Hawaii. Um, good and good things, difficult things, et cetera. Um, if you were talking to someone, not just in Hawaii, but anywhere, would you? what kind of encouragement would you give people if they were thinking about running for office? Yeah, I think that, that it, it's always healthy to have challengers and give voters the choice. Um, I think if you're challenging um, an incumbent, you have to have a good argument, a good reason for um, why you would, you know, make a good case for why you would be a better representative for your district. And... Um, I think when people people often run for office based on single issues, but as they move forward into a campaign and as they move forward into, um, you know, potentially actually being in office and holding that position, you realize, you know, you suddenly realize you have to, you can't just focus on one issue. You have a bunch of constituents and they all care about different things. So now it's your job to care about all these things. So like that said, I think that if you're thinking of running for office, I think it's important to you know, get involved in your community in whatever capacity is available first. Go to public meetings, learn what the issues are, um, get involved, be a leader. And um, that's my, my main advice, I guess. 
Well, I, I think that's important. And like I said, um, referencing Rhode Island, which also has a big Democratic majority and constituencies in there, it was recommended you go to go to the hearings and you'll be surprised that people in office will actually listen to you because they have mm-hmm. to. So if people are interested in learning more about Hawaii and learning more about you, where should they go to learn more and be educated about some of these interesting things? Um, well, I have a website. It's not super up to date, but it should be. It should suffice. So that's NicoleLowen.com. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, I think that's a good place to start. And uh, there's certainly lots of interesting things going on right now with uh, the pandemic, etc. Yeah, and I know, again, people were forgetting about it. I think that you guys are in a uniquely challenging position with the pandemic. Um, And so my heart goes out to you. It's tough everywhere, but I know as an island, you're kind of stuck with it. And you can isolate, but also you can't isolate, right? Uh, Well, you know, what's been really challenging is the economic impacts. I mean, I feel like Hawaii's done a relatively good job, actually, of keeping the case count low for now, though we've had a little bit of a rise on Oahu in recent weeks. But our way of doing that, essentially, a big part of it was we implemented a 14-day quarantine for any incoming um, visitors from out of state, which effectively is a big deterrent to tourism, which is the biggest part of our economy. Right. And so we're just suffering huge economic impacts, um, you know, which is it's sort of, I think, getting towards that breaking point. Everyone's waiting to see what Congress will do if they're going to provide more relief but it's it's really challenging and you know our state budget is suffering too of course because a lot of our revenues come in from tourism as well it it's so frustrating to me as someone who you know for everything i do we i depend on some state money or local tax money and we there's nothing we can do to recoup that revenue if congress doesn't bail out states it seems like it should not be controversial there there's people like Mitch McConnell who are saying, well, state should have budgeted better, but a state like Hawaii, that's what you budget for, right? You can't budget for no one coming to your state for months. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't, I I agree with you. I don't understand. It just seems like Donald Trump's goal is to destroy the country. And it's, it's hard to fathom why he would make some of these decisions. Honestly, it's, it just, yeah, everyone needs to vote for, go vote for Biden in November. Well, I will be doing that from Pennsylvania, um, and it will mean more in Pennsylvania because we have this crazy system where Pennsylvania <laughs> votes matter more than Hawaii votes. Um, and so I'm encouraging everyone in my town to do the same. Um, but in, in addition to voting, I hope that you will consider running for office. Not you, Nicole, though, yes, of course, you too. Um, whoever's listening, please make sure to check out and learn more about Nicole Lowen learn more about Hawaii politics and check out some of the past episodes of the you should run podcast because we've hit almost every state and you can learn about what's going on in those unique places um, as an encouragement to run for office as well so thank you Nicole I really appreciate you sharing your unique story about Hawaii thank you thanks for having me